Bring me more super pets. In honor of DC's Legion of Super Pets, now in theaters, what <laughs> film character's animal counterpart should join the DC PU? <laughs> I am Katie Rich. I think I understand the prompt. And I think that Anton Chigurh's uh, chaotic evil energy would be a really effective cat. I know there's already a cat woman, but I'm thinking like evil, like really evil. Cat yeah. woman. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with like uh, uh, a bat girl. A bat girl, because they, they aren't making that bat girl. Uh, they aren't releasing oh, that boy, bat girl. Oh boy, topical movie, humor. Say. Hello. Hey. Oh. <laughs> Bye, bat girl. It's me, David the Seven, and I'm going to take a Back to the Future Marty McFly hamster with the little vest, because I'm mostly in it for the hamster vest. And I am David Ehrlich, <laughs> and I am going to go with uh, Billy Zane's Caledon Hockley from a little film that has never been mentioned on this podcast before called Titanic, just because I would love to see a dog that's snooty. <laughs> Billy Zane dog, just in general. I, I, I like that. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 401. We made it past a quarter quell once again. It's pandemic 124. It's the week of Wednesday, August 3rd. That's the day that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> I honestly didn't know that we knew the date that he started because there's a columbus day that is in october i have no idea why is it wait first off isn't it in september no definitely in october wow okay well maybe that's when he arrived probably Uh, this is when he sets sail he thinks he's going to the indies and fails miserably you know that's the story uh, of columbus recently charlie who is um columbus day just this might be a topic that we should bring up at some point, but uh, Charlie, who is six, has a book of facts. Like, you know, one of those like, kid Love books book where facts. it's like, there are more brown M&M, plain brown M&Ms than in peanuts, peanut M&Ms. Uh, there was one about Christopher Columbus, and he asked me who Christopher Columbus was, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't prepare for this. I'm not <laughs> I need to figure out to my prepare. kid version. I mean, he like directed the, the first two Harry Potter it, movies. It, and, I mean, Home Alone. Really he's, Charlie's already seen Home Alone. Much of his <laughs> output after that. It's not a very complicated <laughs> question. You don't know, like Spice Man? Oh wait! No, you're right. You're right. You don't like uh, the uh, sequel to that Kurt Russell Santa movie on Netflix that I can't recall the name. I of? I do not. That is the. I was trying to remember what Christopher Columbus joint I had reviewed in the somewhat recent past. Did he not direct the first Kurt Russell Santa movie? Only the second one. Uh, I ah, think he, he did not. The first one. Yeah. Yeah, he did not direct the first one, but I also was but not responsible for reviewing the first one. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my first encounter with it. Anyway, Chris Columbus has committed horrible atrocities. Uh, and I'm talking about the uh, director. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone who has a kid, a, a way to explain Columbus. Day, I, I have a feeling that like, he's not going to learn Columbus you the way that he to... did because our school no. is a little bit more progressive than the one I grew up. I mean, hasn't it been formally about... like nationally changed to indigenous people's day? I don't think it's Columbus day anymore. I don't know. I feel like there's a bunch of angry Italians who usually... Uh, there's uh, definitely a bunch of angry Italians. 
<laughs> Apologies to our Italian listeners. When you say producer fact check, is that the <laughs> phantom fifth person yeah. that isn't on the call? That, that was a little joke <laughs> that we have a whole team here. Um, I will say that in the South, Columbus Day was not a thing growing up. I didn't realize that it was like a, a holiday that a lot of people acknowledge until I uh, came up north because there are more Italian people in the north. We're anyway. back, guys. You had, you had two episodes, two weeks of very special episodes with more people than just the four of us. But now it's just the four of us again. We're back our on our bullshit. Our brains are in top form. Could Everyone's the Italians have possibly found someone with a less Italian name than Christopher Columbus? Christopher Columbus. To go and, uh, you know, make a, a millennium-defining uh, discovery, whether or not, you know, the discovery was legitimate. Uh, Christopher Columbus... Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, the Italians can afford to part ways with them. Uh, yeah, it's going to be... Well, is it Amerigo Vespucci who who drew the maps? Isn't he Italian? This is true. Amerigo Vespucci I'm, is I'm uh, a very sure he's Italian, Italian gentleman. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, looking at Wikipedia ter- right now, but I'm pretty sure uh, he's he may, He may have also done terrible things, though. So let's just be clear. Before we announce Amerigo Vespucci today, we no, need American, to do some Amerigo Vespucci check. was a, a perfectly innocent man. He never did anything wrong in his life. Nope. There was an account of him stealing a, uh, a gumball from a local store in Genoa when he was growing up, but he was so haunted by having done this that he actually went back after drawing the map of America and returned mm. it after keeping it in his pocket for almost 30 years. So he was wow. a saint. Uh, even before George Washington admitted to yeah. chopping down that, um, that cherry tree. So hello, we're back with this podcast that you're still listening to. <laughs> Listen, well, we listen. read reviews, so Some of us I'd were up love until to hear about almost them. three a.m. writing about Bullet Train, uh, <laughs> and so we are just holding on to the seat of our pants for the remainder of this episode. We'll 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 get there, and we'll be up until maybe three a.m. tonight writing about the John Lasseter's first film that he has produced since his ignominious Lucky departure from you. Pixar, Luck. Uh, and believe it or not, watching Bullet Train, which I don't even know if we're talking about in this episode, it's been hard to keep track. Uh, all I could think <laughs> about was how miraculous it was that Bullet Train is not the worst movie about the concept of luck that happens to be coming out this Friday. Uh, wow. What are the odds? Bad luck for wow. luck. If it didn't have bad luck, it would have no luck at all. So we don't have any reviews? We do not have any reviews. I, you know, wow. in fairness to New our Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes Conquest character was announced okay, today. Okay. D- That's d- what we get for all these special episodes okay, that we everyone, gave people. Pull your jets. We're going to get there. I just want to say, in fairness to our wonderful listeners who we recently had the chance to hear from directly, which is always a pleasure. I don't know if we said this enough. We're so great. Everyone uh, wonder, every was so smart and nice and fun to talk to. And uh, that was incredibly fun. We have been you know, somewhat off. The last two weeks slash 11 years, but especially the last <laughs> two weeks, uh, there, we haven't been applying the usual full court press for reviews, the threats of talking about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. So part of me thinks that our listenership may deserve a mulligan. We also, I was forwarded today from the rest of you all, I'm not sure who exactly sent the email, um, uh, a note that I guess could be construed as a review about two of our listeners who are getting married and uh wanted some advice about cutting a video for their uh their wedding um i think it was katie forwarded me their email patches patches get them confused all the time if you're listening uh i will find out who those people were and write them back but with all those caveats uh having been said 
Dave, I think we can probably talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes for a minute. Start the clock. Next concept conquest character is Ben Solo. He has been redeemed. He is going to partner with Galactic Legends Ray uh, slash any Ray variant. So <laughs> your your boys with the Jedi training rays already uh, will also be able to make use of Ben Solo. Man, these Galactic Legends are coming so fast and furious that I feel like as soon as I start even thinking about building towards collecting one, there's someone new and more exciting. I was just getting all hot for Jabba the Hutt, and now there's a Ben Solo. Oh, everybody's hot for Jabba the Hutt. We got regular Diego Luna over here, hot for Jabba. I was thinking about <laughs> him for Jabba. a cat, uh, or for a uh, like cat to transfer into another franchise, but I don't know if he counted for the prompt. Anyway. Mm. Oh, yeah, like an Andor cat. That would work. I would, yeah. I'd be, that series looks dope. Anyway, yeah, but uh, it's uh, uh, ben, ben Solo. And his kit's ridiculously broken. Uh, there's a unique ability called Force Dyad from everybody's favorite Star Wars movie, uh, yeah. where you can't kill off the Ray until the Ben Solo is dead, and Ben Solo has insta kill immunity until Ray is at fifty percent health. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a well, hard character to fight I, against. I just want all of our listeners out there to know, and I know that they've been really anticipating this announcement that I had finally decided to devote the resources to getting a relic level eight character. Uh, mm. you know, I went with the, the relic level eight Sith Eternal Emperor. His power is now like fifty one thousand eight hundred fifty five. It's no big deal, but uh, oh. I don't know. I just felt like I used a little juice in my my big guns. Oh, um, man, leave a review. You leave a review. You gotta, you gotta leave, leave a review. review, please. Leave a review. Leave us a review. Leave Go us fighting a in the review. room uh, on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show, and as a reward, we will not talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Thank God. You the cooling man, you send you up, freezing cooling nights and nine twos oh alright What's a wickification? <laughs> wicka wicka. Is this wicka, is, wicka, 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 is this a wiki wild wild west situation? This is a wiki wiki wild wild west. Yeah. No. John Jim, uh, wiki wiki wild wild west. Rough rider. No, you don't want nada. This should all be part of the segment. Uh, for our topic tonight, we're brother we're gonna Smith brother gun in this. Oh, what's that? <laughs> we're gonna pick your brain a little bit, David, and and get to something I've been thinking about because I have not Ooh, seen Bullet Train. Want. The movie you didn't realize we were going to talk about on this podcast tonight, but mm. we will briefly. Um, what what is Bullet Train? Why is Bullet Train? Talk a little about <laughs> who made Bullet Train and and where it's come from and and what it's like action wise. Because I have a lot of thoughts about action in movies lately, but I want to hear about yes. Bullet Train specifically because I feel like it's going to lead yes. into my theories. Uh, I I think it it will. I will do my best to steer the conversation to where towards where I think you're trying to lead it. But Bullet Train is uh basically the the biggest august blockbuster we have the, the biggest movie we have left this summer it's directed by david leach who was one of the two directors uh who was credited on john wick um we will get there i think that is what patches wants to talk about um and is one of the co-founders of a company that is now called 87 north productions which i believe uh and don't quote me on this originally started just as a stunt outfit um we're going to get there. I don't want to put the, the car before the horse. Bullet Train is adapted from a Japanese novel called Maria Beetle that was published in 2010, became a big hit, was only adapted or translated into English, I believe, in 2020 um, by an author, the original author is named Kotaro Isaka. Uh, it is, as you might imagine, set on a bullet train. 
the original novel is kind of like a a, a darker um, assassins on a train sort of thing where one uh, manipulating force who I will not reveal has arranged for several of the world's deadliest assassins to all be on the same Shinkansen bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. Um, and they are all sorts of twisty time hopping business about what they have to do with each other. Um, the movie that David Leach has adapted from it is a lot more comedic and lighter. Um, it reminded me a lot of, I mean, the closest sort of extrapolation I could think of was sort of like a live action anime directed by Guy Ritchie or like something in that vein. I think in my reviewer described it as sort of like uh, if you typed Guy Ritchie in anime into the Dolly 2 AI image generator, <laughs> this is probably what would come up. Um, it stars Brad Pitt as an assassin who, or uh, who is he? I don't know. A guy who wasn't even supposed to be there that day. He's very unlucky. Um, he ruses bad luck all the time. And he finds himself on the bullet train with a lot of familiar faces, including a frickin' frack-like duo of assassins played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and the always wonderful Brian Tyree Henry, who inexplicably, despite being a wonderful theater actor and uh, you know a star of Atlanta on television, has seemingly devoted himself only to being in like the crappiest studio movies over the last few years. And Neil um, Street talk. He's doing... No, that was his... years ago, Katie. That was four years ago. Listen, Since time then, has been strange, okay? He's only been in garbage on the big screen. He is NBA maybe... The Woman in the Window was a strange most, experience. He's one of the most talented actors of his generation, and it is somewhat infuriating every time I see him in something like this. He is excellent in Bullet Train. He is... Arno, and, and his character is... Really, all his character does is... Uh, talk about thomas the tank engine uh at length and in extreme sure. detail and yet uh brian tyree henry really sells it um it, the the there are other familiar faces on it there are more cast members from the um more more like white cast members from the recent film the lost city than there are significant japanese speaking parts in the film uh which was not the case with the book um and there's been a little hub about that it would probably be less noxious if the movie were better it is not nearly as funny as it needs to be the action while occasionally satisfying and we're going to lean a little bit into more sports patches one to talk about here um is a bit of a letdown david leach doesn't really find uh enough fun interesting ways to use the compartments on the train um and whenever things get a little bit too hectic the really cartoonish cgi takes over and it all becomes a wank but um, there are a few fights, a few close quarters fisticuffs, particularly a fight between Brad Pitt and Bad Bunny, who was in the movie essentially just for the duration of this one fight, um, where they have a bit of Jackie Chan like briefcase fighting, where a briefcase is what they're fighting over, but also the weapon that they're sort of exchanging back and forth. Um, and it is a flash of the sort of brute force, yet still graceful style that 87 North Productions became famous for with John Wick uh, that put them on the map that made it seem like Hollywood's answer to Hong Kong choreography in a way um, and has rather than, you know, it has spawned, as I will then segue to Patches, a number of films that have adopted the style. Uh, I feel like we are getting diminishing returns as other uh, priorities take hold. But Patches, you, you're noticing the Wickification 
of American blockbusters. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this after our trivia episode we did two weeks ago with our friends at Quiz Quiz Bang Bang, which people should listen to that episode. I've been told it's really fun. I haven't listened to it, but my wife did and said it was awesome. I enjoyed Um, being on it. But uh, one of the most memorable moments was when David was absolutely wrong about uh, the Fast (laughs) and the Furious uh, (laughs) installment that uh, included Vanessa Kirby, where she had to learn some some moves, uh, courtesy of, I believe that was a Chad... Stileski or David Leach, I can't remember. They're all the it same. Was a Dave- Chad Stahelski has, to my knowledge, only directed John Wick movies. Okay. Uh, whereas David Leach has He's gone on to direct out. Atomic Blonde, which I thought was excellent, and then quickly soured other, with, other uh, with Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw. Apparently he's going to make a Division movie based on the video game and a Ghost of Tsushima uh, movie based on the video game? Wow. I'm looking at uh, his knows, although Although the latter uh, truly fills me with with this related dread, yeah. but uh, um, well, and and, may, and maybe because of his trajectory here, I, I guess what I'm curious about is John Wick. Obviously, change it had it had a seismic effect in in action movies. Here was Keanu Reeves who could go beyond just playing John Wick. He could become his. He could do gun fu. He could learn all the moves. He was I know a martial fu. artist. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's videos of him. Uh, like on the training range, like just performing these moves. And it was really impressive. And it's really impressive in these movies. And then the 8711 action studio, you know, blossoming into 87 North Productions and making their own movies, doing Atomic Blonde, doing Nobody, turning fucking uh, Bob Odenkirk into a John Wick character. It seems impossible. But, you know, with enough training, I think Odenkirk got a like a men's health cover when that movie came out that was like, no, I really committed and I I trained. I became a warrior to be in this movie. And and nobody is pretty entertaining. I think there is viability to putting just random people, maybe and I'm curious about Brad Pitt. Can like Brad I think some Pitt people can be do this? And 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 when do we when do we realize that it's like falling short? I watched this Hulu movie a few weeks ago called The Princess, starring Joey King. And this is not necessarily a knock at Joey King. I don't know how much she trained. To be in this Joey movie, King, but... who is uh, in Bullet, who is in Bullet Train. Oh, well, on. maybe she got. At uh... least she used her training twice. Yeah, maybe she's all in on, on she, doing this. She I, I did. mean, it is. Uh, it is not a. <laughs> I, I also do not want to be overly harsh towards Joey King, but she, in between these two movies, has made it really difficult to understand the appeal. But I wish it was well, it's lot. not. <laughs> it's not necessarily her appeal as an actress. So the princess is basically a raid style movie set in medieval times where she is a princess locked at the top of the tower and she's fighting her way to the bottom, which is pretty cool in concept, but I found it just so, so exhausting um, and so mundane. And all these fights are starting to kind of meld together. Like what can, how, how far can the 8711, 87 North mentality or ideology well, about fight I, choreography go? Like how many, how much more can we innovate beyond what John Wick has established and we've become repetitive I, I with think, Atomic Blonde and I nobody think the and, problem, and Bullet Train. I think that the problem, and The Prince is a really interesting example, because I don't think that the John Wickification, as you say, is why The Princess is such a wretched movie. It's a wretched movie because uh, it is just a bare-bones, cheapy streamer that is trying to rely on some sort of a cut-rate fight scenes in lieu of characters or plot or, uh, you know, passable scene decoration, uh, set decoration rather, 
um, or anything. I mean, it really feels like the kind of movie that was never intended to be good enough to go into theaters. But there's uh, tons of movies like that that are very good. Scott Atkins is the but I yeah well exactly. I mean like the Scott Scott Atkins has made a number of movies that damn well deserve to be in theaters. But I think yeah. the issue is not just that we're becoming numb to the style of action, but that nobody is really doing their part to complement it with other things that make it interesting, that raise the bar, that um, you know develop it further than it already has been. It's all just sort of diminishing returns from John Wick, and I would argue John Wick Chapter 2, which I think is a more exciting movie. Um, but they, uh, it, you know, it's not just enough to sort of put it on screen, you need to do something with it. And John Wick, as Patches pointed out, had the unique advantage, and the series still does, even though Keanu Reeves is getting older, of having somebody who is extremely experienced in stunt work and can actually, you know, he's not Donnie Yen or anything, but like he can sell these moves in a way that even Brad Pitt, bless his heart, uh, is, is really doing yeoman's movie star work in Bullet Train. <laughs> Uh, and doing a lot of his own stunts, but but can't quite do it. You can't rely on someone like that, uh, a Joey King, a Bad Bunny, or any of these people to to be you know trained in stunts and combat and hand in combat and martial arts, whatever they need to be for decades on end. Um, so you are sort of forced to reduce what you can try and shoot with them and and shorten the takes and um, you know narrowize the, the choreography. And so. It, it, yeah, and so like this becomes just sort of what people expect. I don't think that they, nobody seems to find the priority to or like the the research to build a movie around this, which is really what you need to do, which would what John Wick did. Um, but I don't know. It is getting a very same old, same old. I agree with your thesis. I guess yeah. The other thing I'm thinking about is people trying to imitate what uh, a David Leach does. Ultimately, you know, we see this in the Gray Man the Russo brothers movie, which you could say they take a lot of the kind of hand to hand combat lessons of. Uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, maybe Civil War, uh, and bring and bring that to the spy genre. But for me, I, I'm seeing more like, oh, I wonder if we could do what John Wick does. Could could we plug Ryan Gosling into the '87 uh, North mold? Um, or I even think of Shang Chi in a way. Obviously, Shang Chi is throwing back to martial arts films that date way be before the '87 North phenomenon. But I do think that when people are like. Oh, the best part of this movie is Shang-Chi fighting on the bus and kind of doing a John Wickian hand-to-hand combat fight. Uh, um, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm like, people I'm gonna are trying to, to stop ape, you trying from... To, people want this, people want this flavor. One of the last surviving original Jackie Chan team members choreographed that bus <laughs> yeah. fight, so the I fact understand. you just called it John Wickian... I know, I, I said that's it That's the line told, you can't I, cross. I, 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 <laughs> I knew I was stepping into that minefield when I'm saying this, but I do think... That Shang Chi takes off, or like the reason it's been given the the go ahead almost is because of the John Wick success, because of martial arts making a comeback through the '87 North. They they opened the door so that Shang Chi could do a throwback. I, I think like, you can leave Shang Chi out of Jack, this because Jackie it's Chan just movies. not it's not a really appropriate example. But I do think that Marvel would do well to be more John Wickified in a way to at least. I mean, they did that with Black Widow, on, too, right? That might be a better example here. Yeah, but that's, again, it's an example of them phoning it in and not really doing it successfully. Right, right. right. But I think that, like, you know, if, if they want to have sort of a back-to-basics to restore a certain physicality and a weight to the fight scenes in a Marvel movie, which is not always a priority of theirs, 
um, they would do well to see John Wick and, and the 87 North Productions type of choreography as a good starting point um, and try and find a character-driven way of expressing that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is definitely in vogue, uh, kind of in the way that like parkour was super hot right. for a second. Ooh, yeah. District, District B-13. Let's rewatch but, that. But like this, this kid, this is more adaptable. It is something like the essence of it. The fact that mm. like American audiences, mainstream audiences are excited by well choreographed, well executed uh, fight scenes um, that are not just, you know, uh, isolated shots of people firing guns into off, you know, somewhere off frame, but um, really lean a little bit into the dance like element that you see in so much Hong Kong martial arts cinema, um, but add some of like the brute force American niche to it, guns and pistols and, and just, you know, burly idiocy and whatever else it is that we represent. Um, you know, then that, that is a good starting point. It's something that, that the studios can take and run with, but it does have to be do it done well, like anything else that can't, it's not just enough to be like, we'll have a John Wick style fight scene here. And it's not even enough for David Leach who should have, you know, free pass or, or certainly at least like, you know, an, an auto uh, drive function, autopilot function here for for how to do it well. Um, there still needs to be a justifying reason for it within the context of a scene. There's, the choreography still needs to be fun. Um, it still needs to be propulsive. Uh, it still needs to feed into something bigger. It's why Atomic Blonde. It's one of the several reasons why Atomic Blonde works so much what better than David Leach's other solo outings because all of the that even that. CGI stitched together 12 minute stairwell fight scene with Charlize Theron feels like it is such a whole uh, piece of this of this coherent whole of the movie around it and and not just, you know, insert action here. Um, and they sort of reverse engineer the movie from the kind of violence that they want to have. Um, so I, I don't think it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We shouldn't just mm. be like, OK, no more John Wick style fighting. There just has to be. They have to return the thought to it because it was initially in John Wick very thoughtful. Um, but if I, it's I, not I, happening what, in Bullet what Train, if, I don't what know. What if we boil it down to this line? <clears throat> don't let action directors become directors. They're not directors, they're choreographers. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this whole thing, like uh, this whole uh, John Wickification thing, what it really is, is as we transition into like digital video. They'll just hand over entire action sequences to choreographers that are now called action directors. They will do digital mock-ups of what the sequence is going to be. And somewhere along the fucking ridiculous pipeline that I'm sure Marvel accelerated, we were just like, well, if they could direct that little piece, what if we would just let well, them direct the whole thing? Well, and that's this, disrespecting I mean, that's, what a director is. Well, on the one hand, that sort of delegation of duties has been done in China and Hong Kong for yeah. a number of decades. Uh, yep. And it's worked out just fine. And for the other but hand... They don't, well, they don't let the guy, the guy immediately jump to just being a director, well, do they? Well, this is also something that we've seen with visual effects artists in Hollywood for a long time to come. And you think back to like Snow White and the Huntsman and films of that nature where they just hand the reins Classics. to the VFX artists. Right. Masterpieces all um, Maleficent. And they try them out and then it blows up in their faces. I mean, you know, what's old is new again. The cycle will continue with just different kinds of craftsmen and technicians coming in. But, you know... John Wick, which was directed by two of the people who Dave is sort of arguing shouldn't be allowed to direct these movies, uh, is a good movie, as is John Wick 2. I mean, like, it, it is possible, but I do think that um, 
that David Leach, my feeling is that I don't know him. I, you know, I, I don't really know. You guys have the same first work name, all that intimately. Uh, he you does do have my first, first name, name, which does give me a little bit of a, a dyad like force bond with him. Um, <laughs> oh one of us can't be killed while the other is still alive. Uh, but um, but it, it feels to me like he's sort of getting away with what he loves doing and is good at. I think his movies are becoming increasingly generic um, or even resembling other filmmakers work, which is um, the gravity of Hollywood and the position that he's leveraged himself into where he's directing these huge tentpoles and he's earned you know, the, the right to do that. But, um, you know, his movies are only going to get worse and worse at this level. So I, I think that if he can find a project that allows him to sort of get back to basics and, and I don't know. I guess I'm okay with that. Well, I just but. think there's got to be consequences if you're approaching directing through action first. That just seems like if that was a successful thing, it would, yeah. we would have a lot of evidence of that happening before now. One person I would point to, and to, to wrap this up, is this guy Rick Roman Waugh. Uh, Wog, I think is, is how you pronounce his last name. Of he, Greenland um, fame. Yeah, so he directed Greenland, which w- he was a stuntman, and the I he was on my radar when he directed um, maybe The Rock's last good movie, Snitch, which was way back in 2013, where The Rock played just a dad who had to cross the border and get his son back um, after he was busted for drugs, and just like a down and dirty kind of road action movie. Um, but then Rick kind of pivoted and started doing those Angel Has Fallen. Um, he and, became and Gerard Butler's other, guy. Gerard, yeah, he became Gerard Butler's guy, but kind of brought the stuntman instincts. It's like he doesn't have a fight form that you would recognize in all of these movies, but I think he brought a stuntman's instincts to like what makes a stunt hit you, um, which then he could do a movie like Greenland and make it like this big disaster movie kind of hit you too. He, he is thinking about characters and how stunts kind of wind around then and I'm not sure. Even the John Wick movies, which I like, I'm, I'm, I think they start a lot with fights and kind of work backwards to get. And the Mission Impossible movies do this ultimately too. Uh, maybe it's a better effect, but like starting with yeah. action and then going back to character. I mean, uh, but all, I, all I, these guys right, are trying to survive. Like, even these directors in, need to start with ideas before action. Oh, they're all trying to survive in a big, big machine, um, and they're doing the best they can. I have sympathy for them, for the David Leeches and whatnot of the world, and. Uh, kudos to Rick Roman Wall for finding best. a more interesting way out of it. But uh, I think Patch's point <laughs> remains true, which is that the novelty of seeing that kind of combat in, in a big studio movie is worn off. And now the pressure is on to do something more with it. Wickification. Wicca wicca. That's my contribution. Katie. I'm supposed to dance. No, actually, I'm supposed to stop dancing. You're all supposed to be dancing. Dave. When you say my name. Bluey. I like I like it when dad does the lawnmower. It's his turn. All of dad's motions are great. I love dad. Well, I mean, Bluey's dad. We got there's so much to talk about. What a rich text Bluey's dad is. Uh, we're talking about Bluey. To start... we're talking... Is this the <laughs> segment? We t- we're talking I guess about so. Bluey. I mean, this, if you know about Bluey. Bluey, then like that song that Dave was just humming has probably been stuck in your head uh, nonstop as it has been mine. Um, before we started this, I said I have like every thought and no thought about Bluey because it's like so ever present in my household. Both of my kids have been into it. Um, 
before and then they recently got really back into it and there's new blueies coming to disney plus uh for americans very soon uh they've been on in australia for months um but what made us start talking about it because like i don't always want to talk about the stuff my kids are watching but dave started watching bluey which is so exciting dave Uh, a childless man watching bluey mm -hmm. a show for at least my four-year-old who loves bluey but uh not you're not the target audience it's a it's a show for everybody well i think a lot of the like a lot of grown-ups love bluey like like me like i think it is a genuinely good show but i think it's for a lot of people being like it's about the parents and it like recognizes parenting in a way that most things don't and so that it's like the OC. It's about the kids and the parents. And that is where I'm really intrigued by Dave's connection to it. Not that you cannot, not that you don't have relationships with children, but that element of it that you connect to is what I want to hear about. Yeah, only legal relationships with children. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, first of all, I love the design. That's what sort of brought me in first. And then I'm like, oh, hey, the episodes are short. Great. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that made me realize that I was really into it is it's the the parents um are not bad parents uh it's well written in the sense that you know the parents are doing their best but they also live by uh improv rules with their children <laughs> which is just like yes and yep um and are usually able to twist the and into a learnable lesson which i think is tough i don't think i could work on my feet like that um so if i'm not pleased by the design that storytelling is just so uh, pure and I think aspirational and just t- in terms of how I would like to relate to everybody like I kind of feel like when I'm watching Bluey the world simplifies to a certain way that it is incapable of simplifying if I'm like on Twitter answering work emails and like mm. letting all these other complex thoughts go into me if you're just like alright we're playing the game or we're trying to get the kid to do something those are very uh, specific goals and they're accomplished beautifully within this like fictional world of Australian dogs. And that's what a lot of parenting life is too, right? It's like the simple like day to day, like you got to brush your teeth, you got to sit down and eat dinner. And like a lot of kids television is about like more spectacular adventurous stuff, which, you know, there's room for all those stories. But and patches, you can wait on this with me too. Like I feel seen by the like, put your shoes on and leave the house parts of Bluey and how they turn that into storytelling uh, more than so much other kids programming. Yeah. I mean the, the, what, how long are the episodes? Five minutes? Seven minutes? Ten minutes? But, um, you know, they can be sketches, right? They can be, like, sweeping adventures where they're running all over town, or they can be single frames where, I mean, the episode you're talking about, I, I believe, where they're trying to just get out the door is a locked-off frame in the front of their house where just, like, mayhem continues to exit and enter frame. And it's there's just so yeah. much visual storytelling that uh it's kind of like adventure time where we mentioned that before the podcast uh where it's like it has crossover appeal it's maybe for kids but there's such imagination there's such visual storytelling that bluey it doesn't surprise me that dave got into it and became enraptured because there's just so much to look at there's just so much attention to detail there's always something happening in the background and it's it's very much life in that way um, I think it's fair to say that Bluey is much more unambiguously for kids than Adventure Time, but uh, it I I like I don't the- know I, I I can't actually say that because the parents are so dimensional. There's so many cutaways to the parents. There's so the dynamics are equal. It's not just kids' perspective, and the character and the parents are like dimensional. It's that everyone is kind of equally drawn. So okay. even though it's uh, short and. I- and more playful, perhaps, 
it is it, it is a have... world dominated by the kids like the thing like the, the parents have right. time to play with their kids and to like jump into their world far more than real parents do like but david to you your don't point see the parents it does not take a place in, in a post-apocalyptic nightmare world yeah with, with uh, dungeons but, and dragons but, mythology i'll give you that uh but <laughs> i i did appreciate what you were saying about the yes and like improv nature of bluey because uh i was thrown a little bit i just you know i i've been hearing about bluey for years and about how it's like this you know excellent uh, in uh, children's programming that parents can enjoy too and i was sort of saving it for a rainy day or for when ace was old enough but uh, when he was sitting on the couch the other day uh listening to bjork songs on my spotify on my phone which is something that he does for hours on end skip bluey um, went directly to I, bjork. I, I put on i put on bluey for myself um because i wanted to see what the fuss was about and i was a little i really enjoyed the three or four episodes that i watched but i was a little thrown by the very first one um which is about them like sprinkling each other with a hose that makes them freeze in place oh yeah um That's good and I, it was really hard to tell coming into this cold uh if if like the the properties of the sprinkler were real like if the people were actually were frozen <laughs> the parents are very they, committed to the bits they're very really committed, committed. Like beyond any um, parental experience or possibility like you cannot but it's be also you know there there isn't when it comes to like a kid's imagination for example like there isn't any wiggle room i mean it's real completely and not real at the same time and so yeah. i i sort of enjoyed it on that but what you guys are saying about like just narrativizing uh the day-to-day we need to get out of the house the chore the fact that like parenting is so goal-oriented which is so heartbreaking about it because uh you you know spend so much time thinking about wanting to enjoy your kids but when you're actually with your kids so much of the time you spend is just about like getting in bed brushing your teeth getting to school it's all about just getting the next thing accomplished uh and i think what i what little i saw of bluey and i'm excited for ace to get a bit older so we can watch more um taps into that in a way that that sort of speaks to parents who are looking to savor the goal orientedness of raising yeah it it makes that part of it ask a question (laughs) also a good show yeah it makes that aspect of like the goal-oriented stuff of it you say it feels heartbreaking but like that's part of it that's just like what it is uh and it doesn't have to feel heartbreaking it can feel like part of your life with your kids as much as anything else and i think the show is really good at that part of it too you don't even need to have kids to enjoy that's right. You could just like puppet animation, like they're little rectangles that manage to convey all these deep emotions. It's like it's actually well designed. And does the line know, colors change. It's great. Does anyone know what to what extent the show is funded by the Australian government? Because, well, I don't know. Are you starting a conspiracy here? No, about- the opposite. I mean, I don't know if it's just like a tax subsidiary. They get. I mean, obviously, in most other uh, industrialized countries in the world, the government does subsidize the arts they have grants they support them in ways that america has never dreamed of doing but it, it was just you know seeing that icon pop up at the end credits of the show i was just sort of bowled over the umpteenth time by like how unfathomable it is or would be for the american government to fund <laughs> something like that i mean it's like we have pbs um we and that sesame is the course yeah and that like sesame street is not nothing but I feel like if there was like a new, I don't know if it, there's something categorically different about Bluey from this, there's like more of an edge to it. It's, it's less about education. It is actually like content uh, and programming. And I just, it feels like if somebody created something like this with taxpayer dollars, um, 
with this like real humor and well-drawn characters it would become a tucker carlson segment within 24 hours <laughs> um, taxpayer dollar reduce yeah uh, I wonder if it's increased the Australian birth rate where people watch this and they're just like, that looks fun. Wow. Being a parent seems fun. Let's do it. Maybe that's how it's propaganda. I want to have puppies. Kids, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Katie, Dave famously, and when I say famously, <laughs> I mean like famously on the couch where I'm sitting, you know, between my wife and I. Um, it was during an episode of ER, which is not Bluey, where mm, my no. there was a scene where um, Dr. Benton is taking his son Reese into a car outside of the hospital and just like putting him in under the L train in Chicago. And my wife just turned to me and said like, okay, we should have a kid. So, wow. Uh, it doesn't need to be fluey. Inspiration can come from all sorts of strange places. Wow. I guess putting a kid in car state is one of the most famously uh, awful parts of parenting. It sure is. We managed to work out. <laughs> uh, we, we should wrap this up, but Katie, you and I were at least were talking about naming our top five Bluey episodes. And Dave, yep. uh, if you have watched enough to have uh, strong, specific Bluey episode feelings. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing is I'm only I'm limiting myself to two every Saturday morning. They're taking my, wow. my what used to be the DuckTales spot. Uh, now instead it's a bluey spot so i'm not rushing through guys especially if there's more coming uh, and there's like uh, like a lot already yeah i i look forward to reaching your top five episodes but i don't think i katie and i probably have seen every episode 800 times so i there are still some i haven't seen i saw a new one for the first time the other day yeah well they hop around a lot and watch a lot of the same ones but okay i came prepared uh rug island if any of these ring a bell for anybody, uh, tell is me that, it's when the kids play Rug Island. That's the one where they're uh, on a with, Rug Island? With, Wait, uh, is with that Tyler the one with the uh, island Rivers. outside where they build this like, yeah, they huge make a, they outside? Make a, yeah, and then they bring Dad on uh, and oh, yes, uh, it has this really lovely The thing I love ending. about Bluey is like, they have, they're also rich. I mean, the, come on, this family is pretty wealthy. They have an amazing house. They have an amazing backyard. Oh, their house is amazing. They have amazing yeah. just like stuff all around and they can build entire islands out of all the objects in their home. So Yeah, and that's an example of one where like dad's class, going to work and the kids are upset he won't play with them and then he like magically pops up to play with them. And you're like, oh, wait, he had to go to work. Fuck you. Like we have things to do. Nope. Um, okay, Sleepy Time, the one with uh, the Jupiter suite uh, by Holst is a major part of it. Uh, that's space. awesome and like surreal. Uh, dance mode, uh, which is just like a good parenting. I Although thought there that was, was up there for me, but I'm 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 against dance mode because I my kids started. You don't doing want it used against mode. you. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of Bluey stuff has been adopted. Do not in activate our house. dance mode on me, small child. Uh, well, dance yeah, mode sounds like it's really kind of for the cr- the fans and not the critics. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> there is a moment in that episode where the mom turns to the dad and says, "This is not good parenting," which is another relatable <laughs> moment. Um, escape, where they imagine themselves escaping from mine. the parents, uh, like on a car ride to their grandmother's house. But it becomes a two D like. Yeah, Dave, you should watch that one for the animation because it's really animation. fun animation. Yeah. Um, and then midnight, which is like takes place over a series of different weeks of them taking out the trash together, and the entire Aww. thing is about them taking out the trash together and like the life that happens around it. Uh, yeah. Which is really interesting, like storytelling structure to introduce kids to. I think those are those I, uh, my five. I put escape on. I put fruit bat, which is an early episode where mm-hmm, um, she that's a good ima- one. Bluey imagines herself, wonders what her dad is doing at night, and is like flying around as a fruit bat. Um, there's and it's a, about m- dad like not going out to have fun with his friends. As much yeah, he's playing rugby kids. with his friends. Um, there's an episode called Bike, which is has little vignettes where Bing, uh, Bluey is watching all of these little kids like 
be try and achieve their goals fail, try and fail and things. they like crank up ode to joy as these kids achieve their goals and it's so inspiring and beautiful mm-hmm. um there's an episode that's just bingo where they switch the show from bluey to oh bingo, yeah that one and the opening credits for that one learn, blow minds in our yeah, house <laughs> the the bingo bingo the younger sister has to figure out how to be by herself which was a very important lesson for my child um and i was kind of torn uh well i'll, I'll say the show uh, which is this Mother's Day episode where uh, Bingo messes something up and they put on a play about how the parents met. Um, and it sparked this like TikTok theory that Chili, the mom dog, had a miscarriage and that Bingo was like, or Bluey was a rainbow baby or something. And it was just like, whoa, this is this is hardcore. This is not in the episode at all, I should say, for anyone who might be triggered by that. But I could see how they get there. And it's a beautiful little episode anyway. It's about kids paying tribute to their parents, which obviously I was a big fan of. <laughs> it's oh, bluey. a lot of those are in a lot of those are in season two i gotta get there gotta get there watch bluey real good dave yeah this podcast is called Fighting in the War Room. Yeah, that's right. Usually, at most, it's like talking over each other in the war room. <laughs> but mm-hmm. For this segment, we're talking about a film that I believe all four of us have seen. I have not seen it. Three of us have seen. That's a Three no of for us Katie. That's or a two no. Of no us, at least not, not out of protest. I just haven't gotten to it. Don't, don't yell at me. Two of us like a lot or love. One of us probably would if she uh, had taken the time to see it. And oh, okay. All right. Wow. I see other, how this is going. Just statistically, <laughs> you know, based on uh, cinema scores. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and one of us, being you, did not care for it. So mm-hmm. let's, let's stoke the fires of antagonism here. Uh, why, why are you uh, no on nope? One of, uh, to my mind, the, the best movies of this year. And certainly um you know one of the very best studio movies of the year yeah i'll try to uh make this as concise as i possibly can and then you guys can interrogate whether or not i'm right uh i was bored because i think this movie sacrifices its characters to its metaphor and so all that's holding it up is performances and the big idea and I, I think it also tries to smash two big ideas together like they're the same thing without successfully um, melding them, to, in my mind. Uh, the first idea would be the idea of the entertainment industry and spectacle sort of uh, destroying lives. And then the second one is a little bit spoilery. Katie, I'm assuming I'm okay should, to talk yeah, about We nope. should talk full spoilers here. F Katie. Yeah, that's... That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the second one is uh, this sort of idea that uh, you uh, can like train and break an animal by treating it with respect. Because in the climax, we have our main characters split amongst these two goals. There's the get the shot people. Many of them die horrible deaths. And uh, there's OJ, Daniel Kaluuya's character, who is trying to tame the monster that killed his father. And that's our consequence. And it looks great. I wish I had seen it in IMAX because I think that third act especially opens up 
into the sky is ocean is sort of fantastic feeling. Fantastic in IMAX. Uh, but I think that third act was the most enjoyable the movie was, but it was also the most divorced I was from what was happening. For a movie that's called Nope, a lot of people die for things I would have noped out on really early. Really early on. And I think the reason they stick to it, obviously, is because this movie's uh, winding a grand metaphor around Gordy the Chimp and uh, Jupe and Jupe's claim um, that I don't think ever really meshes uh, fully with uh, we have to save the stunt horse farm. So I was just, I was just bored until the end of it. Uh, well, uh, you are not entitled to your boredom, and may God have mercy on your soul. What's I mean, wrong with like, you, see, What's wrong? I guess the thing is, is like, Get Out is obviously something that is a very tightly wound plot and theme together. Uh, there's a lot of work, I think, that it was done on the screenplay stage uh, to get it sort of up For and running. For years and years, I think, right? Yeah, I think Us is a little bit more guttural. And, like, if you start really thinking about nitpicking Us's plot, it stops making sense. Uh, but I think because it is a home invasion movie before it starts to unveil itself, it manages to keep that tension. And I think uh, Lapita Nyong'o's performances in that movie are great. And because she's able to do two, uh, it really ups that tension. I think Nope is an idea that Jordan Peele had from a dream, which is the chimp attack. He tweeted about it in 2014. And his sort of feeling uh, being this person who at his third at, at bat has all this uh, expectation, sort of also wanting to satirize Hollywood a little bit. I don't think like there's great performances by every actor, I think, except maybe Angel, the tech guy. And they're they're just they're like watching somebody do a monologue for theater class. I'm not hooked into it at all, um, either because of over subtlety or because I'm like, why are you guys risking your life when literally all you need to do is stay inside? I don't think I disagree with almost anything you're saying, but I did like Nope. And I've been thinking yeah. about it a lot and I would definitely watch it again. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've been trying over the weeks since seeing Nope. And I'm glad we're talking about it with some breathing room um, to try and kind of reckon with, like, what does Jordan Peele do that makes even a, a more disjointed movie, I suppose, or an underbaked character-wise? I, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I wish there was more Daniel Kaluuya and seeing, like, what the farm, what the ranch really means to him or what family really means to him or what the connection to black history when it comes to talking about the uh, Moybridge, the horse in motion film that they referenced, that first film of, of the, the black jockey riding the horse and like where it all kind of weighs on him. I don't think you feel gravity in this movie very often um, unless it's like moments of, of, of extreme violence when you see, I mean, I think one of the first images we see is a God, what kills his father? What object falling from the sky? It's like a, is nickel. It a coin. It's a, nickel. it's a coin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that is shocking. And also, is that it, not an example it, of gravity? No, that's an extreme mm. <laughs> that, mm. literal gravity right there. Um, no, I was gonna say like that really that really hits me and and like watching your it hits father you. die huh. in that way. Hey, hey I'm all over. Hey, hey, yeah. um, but you know, as as things go on, it's it's an ideas movie. It's an images movie. It feels like 
a dream. It doesn't surprise me. I had not seen that that Peel had a dream about the uh, monkey on the set of a sitcom attacking the actors, uh, which is very not. I wouldn't say it's disconnected. I think there's thematic ways to to line it all up, like why that is in the movie and how it's all about taming these animals, right? On some level, but um, I I, re- I recall something that Stephen King once said, and I'm gonna paraphrase because like not possibly directly quote him um about just like kind of writing through his ideas not really outlining but just kind of coming up with all these images that he wanted to put into a book and then in his rewriting process he would find the themes like uh he would he wouldn't start with like a thesis uh, this is what this book is about he kind of figure out what the book is about after he gets all these images into the book and he figures out what the story he wanted to tell and nope kind of reminds me of that maybe that you're right it, it could be a few drafts uh, under the the get out like get out is so sharp and and the characters are so familiar um or, and have strong voices and they don't hear a note but like you know I think he accomplishes I've, something by just putting the images on the board I think he does I, connect I know, the dots um, and they look beautiful okay okay I I I this is not a uh, this is something that I've heard a lot from people who even people like the movie like Patches I like it yeah. um it's been yeah it's been a it's been a recurring criticism that. Um, things seem a little bit sketchy or need a little bit more time in the oven. I think that is precisely, I, I wouldn't put it into those terms myself because it's precisely what I love so much about this movie. Um, I don't need to sort of reiterate, I think, everything that has been talked to death already and examined to death about what this movie is doing them- thematically um, and how beautifully what it's doing on that side. You can talk about that too. Our listeners may not know, happening. David, um, your deep thoughts. Yeah, maybe everybody hasn't like been well, reading everything... the reviews that are like, that nickel is a token, and that's why it's oh, important. Boy. The token um, falls from the sky. I, I'm afraid Whoa. of looking on YouTube for a video about that very thing. But, uh, <laughs> but just more to the point of what Patches and Dave were talking about, I think that the the empty space, the sort of the wiggle room, the the room that Peel leaves for your imagination to connect the dots. I mean, I think some of the um, some of the, the connective tissue between the various subplots that don't seem to have all that much to do with each other on the surface of the film um, are are pretty obvious and self-explanatory and don't allow too much room for interpretation. But I do think that overall, the, the pieces sort of orbit around each other in a way that enriches them all. Um, I love that. You know how it on a thematic level embraces the idea that what you don't see can be so much scarier than what you do um it is something that you see you know viscerally in the movie as well uh but um you know in a movie that hides its creature in some ways or some aspects about its creature at the very end um but i think that like this like the 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 steve the sequence with steve and yoon and uh the the very uh tragic show that he puts on with the horses that he's been stealing from OJ's ranch um, is a perfect example of that and how little of it we see, but just enough to sort of make it linger um, in our minds and leave us so desperate for resolution for some sort of coherence that we search for the underlying meanings ourselves and sort of bump around in the dark and find the connective tissue um, that I think was a little bit more um, acute and self-explanatory in Peel's other work, which had a, a more pointed sociological, sociopolitical edge yeah. to it, rather. Um, and I'm not saying that this movie doesn't, but it, it's less polemical. It's a little bit more about um, just sort of how people navigate their own way through it. And I think 
yeah, I think it's all it's very interesting for that. And that is the element of it that really left it kicking around in my head for so long after I saw it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think the construction of it is pretty brilliant. It is a work of like bonsai, like trimming away from something. I mean, we read about every movie these days that there was a three and a half hour cut or something <laughs> like that. But I think that there's a little bit more validity about talking about that with Nope. I mean, I was talking to a friend of the show, Emma Stefanski, about an interview she did with the Cal a tech professor who helped design Jean Jacket. And he was talking about a lot of the scenes that sort That's of... That's the alien kid. We call yeah. it Jean Jacket. Okay. I was just explain. honestly at this point, I was going to be like, wait, is there an alien in it? I thought there yeah. were aliens. There's a big Jean Jacket in it floating around. Yeah, cool. uh, the, the, some of the, the scenes that were cut that helped explain the origins of Jean Jacket. And oh, it sounded like there was not just sort of like fluff or dead air that was left on the cutting room floor, but a lot, a little bit more story uh, that some people felt missing from that. And I, I really felt, um, you know, it's impossible to say without seeing everything that, that Peel had shot for the movie, but I felt like the omissions that were made um left really just satisfying room for the imagination to fill them in um and you still have so many unanswered questions about what is happening and i think that what you're talking about with the characters about like what the ranch means to oj what his connection is yeah. to his forefathers and film history and the role of uh black people in it on camera um and his own father i think it, it's all there and it's all very alive and active for me um and it's all filtered through the process of someone who is actively grieving something that they cannot wrap their head around and that no one else will um, believe. And uh, I think oh, there's a lot happening, as there always is in the Daniel Kaluuya performance behind his eyes in this movie. Um, I think their, their clarity and sort of like the, the wide eyed look that Peel gets so much out of in uh, get out it's replaced by a sort of bleariness here but that it's no less expressive um and i felt i mean i felt a lot about those characters and what they meant to each other uh there is a weird amount of weight placed on the character of angel um which may or may not be a that may be thrown, may have what thrown it off for me that becomes such a an adventure movie i you know I, to your point like i don't think there's anything I don't need more story in, in Nope, certainly not. Like, I don't need more explanation of anything. It's certainly not what... It, I, I, just, I just find... When I say that maybe it's a little underbaked, I don't know how long Jordan Peele spent writing the script or anything. I'm not going to make an assumption like that. I think trying to find meaning in some of the connecting of dots, this exercise for him, comes off a little didactic, and then you want... The, the themes to be balanced a little more by character. That's kind of how I was feeling. Like, I want more lingering shots of Daniel Kaluuya. I want to see more of Kaluuya and, and Kiki Palmer, who is another vivid character, at least their entrance when they're working on this commercial. That's when we really first meet her. Um, and, like, she gives this big speech about the history of of the the Horse in Motion film and how they get to black horse trainers and what it means and how she also wants to be a star and like she does all the other work give her a call she's in hollywood um great entrance amazing speech um just complete vibrance and i i, I wanted more of the two of them i wanted more on earth uh so that these big big grand images and ideas that he ultimately throws around um i don't know could have had that could have I mean, had that anchor like it becomes kind of jaws like it doesn't actually need to have that much character depth or themes or whatever like it could just be this adventure with grand 
images. Well, and, now and you're arguing against your, into it, but. yourself, and I agree I know, with the second Matt Patches, but I think there's something there's, calibrated uh, incorrectly about the movie. Uh, like, it's a I mean, little I think too much of one thing or another. That's valid if wrong, but I think that, you know, there are, there were things that I found, you know, deeply moving about, I mean, Stephen Yoon's character, for example, the way that he sort of internalizes his, his trauma in terms of spectacle, in terms of wanting to see it and look at it and make it so visible for himself in a way that makes him feel like he's mastered it somehow, uh, which obviously resonates with all of the animal imagery in, in the movie, um, not just with Gordy, but in the way that like trying to break these wild animals. And I think is similar to what um, or, or resonates with what he was saying about um, how we try to master our trauma and the horrible spectacles of our world by turning them into spectacles that we can sort of look and gawk at and feel like we have control over when in fact they still have control over us. Um, I found really moving and I found the, the, the barbarity of his fate very powerful in a way that um, most studio movies, you know, horror or not, <laughs> almost never are. I mean, like it really shook me that sequence, and you see very get little of it. Sucked up into the mouth. I mean, you don't really the... see it. I mean, you see, you see, uh, you know, the after effects, but like, you don't see it happening. Um, and it, you're left to sort of put together the pieces and understand why was it that Jupe wanted all those horses, and why did he give OJ that look when OJ was expressing interest in buying them back, and uh, you know, like what. Why does he have the shoe that is strangely seems immune to gravity um, in a case where he lets sex tourists come and do kinky shit with it? Um, you know, why did he find that Chris Kattan SNL sketch so fun? I mean, all this stuff all made sense wow. to me and, and added up. And I found like really sobering and true. Um, and I, I loved and rooted for OJ and his family because they were able to sort of survive that impulse um and, and obviously and we're not, I'm not even talking about the ways that this sort of um involves well, Moybridge and uh Gita Board and Society the Spectacle and all that hand cranking camera stuff and the wonderful ending that Kiki Palmer gets to have with that yeah they with the Akira slide yes with the Akira slide I was about to say before oh, Matt anime. rudely cut me off in uh, an unprecedented move on this podcast that uh <laughs> Angel feels like a, a name I mean maybe this is reaching its straws Although Peel's love for anime um, is is known, but Angel felt to me like uh, could be a reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion. But um, I mean, I don't think I mean, it's I, I don't think that's is. I don't think it's not a reference. That's Angel. also yeah, like sorry. this movie's so much more fun to talk about than it is to watch, and that's what sort of makes me sad about it. Um, uh, and it's like not even that there aren't like great sequences. Like everything with Terry Notary is great. Everything uh, once the, you know they actually start executing their plan with the wavy guys to track Jean Jacket, love all that. Are there still some weird decisions like old cinematographer just straight up killing himself to get a shot? Like obviously, yeah. But they all fit into like this thematic weave that is more interesting, I think, to talk about. You know, like oh, you know what? How is the head standing on its end? Also a bad miracle, which is also referenced here. Like, I think you can explain this movie. I'm just not sure that I... I think it landed closer in terms of Jordan Peele's output to a Twilight Zone episode than it did to either Get Out or Us. For yeah, me. I mean, if you were not super engaged by it, there, there's really no arguing against that. I was riveted. I mean, like, on a purely physiological level. Um, and the IMAX didn't hurt. Because uh, it's, it's really, I thought this movie took beautiful 
uh, advantage of IMAX and also has an IMAX on camera, an IMAX camera right. on camera in the yeah. movie, which I, Crank you know, him. not a detail I think I've seen before. But, IMAX. Why, did, um, why didn't Hoyt Van Hoytema get to play the cinematographer? I don't know if he has the same, the same gravitas. Uh, <laughs> because but, they, picked a, they picked a spectacle actor. Yeah, that but, actor um, is the villain in The Crow, and he foreshadows Brandon Lee actually getting shot whoa, in The Crow. Yo, whoa. But I, 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 he's I like, ca, ca, gonna get shot. Whoa, anyway, whoa. Sorry, My full body was sort of involved in what was happening in this movie. I mean, the set piece where Jean Jacket is raining blood on the house that is and dropping. Amazing. I mean, I was like shaking. Um, I was so into it and was so pumped up by the the big climax. and delighted i can't remember the last time i was able to say this like delighted by the design of the creature as it's fully revealed um in in you know towards the end um not just another cloverfield like oh, that's a, you and i were great dragging jj cloverfield no. you love cloverfield no i love cloverfield but similar to john wick i mean wasn't it. always in love with what it wrought sure, um, yes, yes yes and you know and even before cloverfield I mean, even like spielberg's war of the worlds and things like that i mean we are used to this squishy cg gray aliens and this was just an entirely different way of thinking about what uh, an alien might look like i mean it's baked into the very premise of this movie um and uh, i mean i guess we can spoiler it at this point we've had so many spoilers up and down but katie um if you are not already aware there's not a spaceship the the alien is is simply in the shape of a spaceship because it's That's aerodynamic cool. but that is uh, there's is no cool. one inside it it is a creature um and it is very cool and it is capable of changing shape um, and becoming vaguely like angelic looking ribbon monster that has <laughs> a, a green like camera sensor instead of a mouth. Um, I was expecting and kind of hoping for some sort of like jaw situation under that green square at the end. But uh, what can you do? But like I, I thought all that stuff was so awesome. And the reason why I was piqued by my interest was piqued by the idea that there was there were scenes left on the cutting room floor that explained where the alien oh. came from. If it was an alien at all, it may have just come from the ocean floor. It may have come from, you know, who knows was just because I was so fascinated by its design and wanted to know more about it. Even if it made the movie more cumbersome, even if I was just like chasing, you'd want those uh, scenes, you know, like, you actually ARG, want those like scenes. I mean, like even if they were presented in the way that like the backstory of Cloverfield was presented on like sure. a, a website, um, you know, I would be, <laughs> For the, it would be the rare example where I was interested in actually checking that out. Um, but, I can see uh, where he cut it, though, because if you do that reveal too early, then it changes the whole basis of the movie. Like, they have to believe it's an alien to want to get the Oprah shot. Otherwise, they're just trying to train an animal from the beginning, you know? Yeah. I, so, mean, I, I mean, mean, I think, you know, it's, I, I'm not saying that it's, like, not an alien. I don't think it really matters, but I think that it's clearly, wherever it came from, something spectacular. And uh, worth documenting. I, yeah. I, I will say, because I feel between the two of you, David, you talking about the movie, uh, to Dave's point, I love talking about this movie. I love hearing about, no, there's so many things to just like drill down into, and it really captures your imagination. And I felt in the days after seeing it, um, more enraptured by it than even sitting there in the theater watching it uh, about, next to a bunch of teenagers going like, this is not scary. Why what is this movie? <laughs> this is not scary. Um, Stop like, seeing movies on, with kids. teenagers, Patches. I know. Elvis, this. Um, but <laughs> They were terrified by Elvis. I, in, in, in execution, I do think that there's just a lot of like trying to make 
the theme happened so hard. I, I didn't really care for the TMZ reporter who shows up. And to Dave's point, like, I liked Michael Wincott as the cinematographer trying to get the perfect image. Um, like, everyone's chasing the photo of this thing to get theirs. Uh, there's theme there. I just, like, injecting that all that stuff, it just felt a lot clunkier, especially by the end when I want to be really with OJ and M and like what they need out of this and how, what it means for the ranch, what it means for uh, their history in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know. It kind of just interfered with itself as it's kind of like piling on other ways to hit the theme. And, uh, and again, like maybe that means more character. I, I, again, you, you mentioned that I was kind of contradicting myself, but I, I, it could be more or it could be less. I don't know how to make the perfect version of Nope, but I felt like I needed either more or less of something by, by the end of it all. There's a lot of good ideas, though, and it's really interesting and fun. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I agree with all of it, but here's what I've been saying to people about Nope. Uh, I didn't like it as much as everybody else. A lot of very smart people, including people on this podcast, really did like it. So this isn't like a Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice where I'm like, don't go see this movie. Don't give these people your money. Or I guess a Jurassic World Dominion would be a more recent example. Uh, go see Nope. Make up your own decision about Nope. And if you could see it in IMAX, make use of that because that's going to be something that goes away. I mean, I hope that's what nope you've been saying to people about Nope, but I, I would hope that anyone who's listened this far in this segment of the show has already seen Nope. Um, for me. <laughs> yeah, Katie, 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 and Jordan it also Peele feels like Jordan Peele really at this exciting. point. Like you gotta see all his movies. Like you gotta. He, he's he doesn't yeah. make that many of I them, say, and they're all we're talking about. I mean, this is beyond the scope of the film. But I was listening to my pal Sean Fennessy over at the Ringer interview Jordan Peele, um, and I have not read a lot of interviews, so maybe he's giving this line to everyone. But sorry if that's true. But um, he he Sean asked him about like, do you when you're making a movie, do you need to come up with images that are gonna like go viral? or really like become iconography um and i find and he said yes and i think that's really interesting mm. to like for us like the scissors the twins like the red jumpsuits well that was stuff that we that instantly became halloween costumes like iconography us had very powerful imagery this one maybe a little less so but obviously once you see uh some of the the alien design and once you see some of these set pieces they're not going to escape your mind. Um, and I don't know what to make of that pursuit. And I'm thinking about Jordan Peele. Just, well, like, it's very similar to what uh, future, Christopher. But. It's very similar to what, like, I think it's just sort of the way that you have to operate if you want to retain any sort of creative freedom at a budget, at, at a large budget in the studio system these days. I mean, it's like a, very similar to what Christopher McQuarrie does when conceiving the Mission Impossible For sure, movies, yeah. which is he comes up with just a few trailer moments um, and then sort of reverse engineers his set pieces from there, knowing that if he has those in the bank, he'll have, he'll be afforded the freedom that he needs to build the movie that he wants to build. And so it's like, if you give the marketing team what they need to sell it, uh, everyone will get off your back a little bit. And I think 
Um, it seems to be working for both Peele. of them very well. Yeah, but. I mean, the degree. I think the degree of difficulty for doing that with Jordan Peele is a little bit higher because it's not just like, what can we throw Tom Cruise off of next? Uh, <laughs> but um, And I think Patch's point is a really good one about how iconic he has made seemingly um, innocuous things. Um, you know, I, I remember the Nope trailer, which was, I mean, I, I think it did have, the teaser even, like, did have people getting sucked up into the sky or whatever, but it also was just a lot of the, uh, like, the what are those guys called? They mentioned in the movie, like the, the like dancing balloon guys. Uh, the air, the car, car lot air. Thing. Yeah, they have a name, and I can't. Remember, I knew what it was when I was reviewing this movie, and it's already escaped me. Um, but and and just like the flags you have at car dealerships and shit like that, um, that you recognize once you've seen the movie. But the way that it's presented in the trailer was was uh, in, in, indelible that? enough. That How does he it, imbue it's, 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 it? It is with an impressive that skill energy. Set. Like what? But I what think as long doing? as he can do that, he will have the freedom that yeah, he needs. It's amazing to, power. Um, yeah. Nope. Go no. see it in theaters if you feel safe. Otherwise, you know, do it. Do be safe. Feel free to nope wherever you need to. Tra la la tra la tra la la. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. August marches on. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patch's deputy editor at Polygon. I'm still on leave, so hopefully they're doing well over there. I'm in hell. Uh, <laughs> taking care of a kid that keeps spitting up. Are on you the ever end. going back to work? I, I no. want to. I want to go back to work. Mm. Um, boy, mm. it's, uh, you know, taking care of a kid, it's hard. It's not all bluey, you know. Um, and uh, remember, we we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to. Uh, we mentioned some two big episodes that we just did. Go back and listen to those if you if you skip them because they were off topic or off format. You got to go listen to our trivia episode. You got to go listen to our call-in episode. Such good guests um, and 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 years of other episodes to listen to on fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I currently have a December song stuck in my head because Katie said that August marches on. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a different month, but that hasn't happened in a while. Um, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and on IndieWire, where I have reviewed Bullet Train at 3 a.m. and I'm about to do the same for luck. Um, what else? You can go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, leave us a review, we'll read it live on the show. We won't talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. And to Twitter user I am alone read at La Film Girl, I believe it was, who had DM'd us about uh, something to do with their wedding, I will hit you back uh, if you're listening. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, especially if you have international reviews that I totally didn't intentionally skip so I could talk about Ben Solo. Don't worry about it. I'm also on the <laughs> Trial by Content podcast, which is over on the Ringer, and sometime before the end of the month, that, that show is going to become some sort of Game of Thrones show, because guess what's coming back after giving me some years break? Fucking Game of Thrones. Hell yeah. I don't know. I mean, that made me sound enthusiastic. I'm <laughs> mildly intrigued. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on Little Gold Men talking about festival lineups. There's a lot of movies out there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Or you can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where, uh, I don't know, you can tell us your favorite Bluey episode or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was. In honor of DC's Legion of Super Pets, what film 
character's animal counterpart should join the DC pet you. <laughs> if anyone else answers that question successfully, good on you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back talking to you next week. Na 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 na